All right, so I think we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, so, oh, let me share my screen. Hold on. We won't get started just yet. Let's see. It. Pick the right one here. I believe this is it. I'm going to, let's see. I'm going to try and do this. See if that helps with uh, some of the uh, issues. Readability versus... Uh, um, smooth. We'll, we'll give it a shot. Uh, it doesn't look super. Because you're in 72030 now. Okay, so, so let me let me switch. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Let me try this again. And yeah, that is the trade-off of Discord. You can either get smooth animation or screen show of 1080p. Yep. Now I can see the text a lot better. All right, we'll go with that. I'll switch it next time. I don't think I have any videos today, so. Yeah. Now it's on source, so it's just gonna be whatever you give it. Yeah. So. All right, so first up, obviously, is the AC meeting uh, tomorrow. Uh, Dave was alluding to uh, some of this uh, before we got started. Um, but uh, that, that meeting is to take place tomorrow. Um, if you'd like to download the ebook and kind of go through the hundred and some odd pages of that, uh, you can view that here. Um, yes, again, uh, to uh, uh, XJet's. Uh, point earlier uh before we started there were 12 new members that have been added to the aac and again uh it seems like uh the the um recreational hobby uh, of drones has been left out of uh being represented on the aac not um, part of the conversation yeah i think there were like 138 people trying for that spot right yeah Something like that those 12 yeah. spots yeah, and in point of fact, we are part of the conversation well, in as much as we we've are, been, we've contributed. <laughs> we've contributed to the last ten uh, ACT tasking groups and very actively, and we have uh, were invited onto the BV Loss Arc. So while it, it is frustrating to be passed over again, third time, um, it's uh, we are at least uh, very much uh, part of the. Uh, the group that's putting this together. And as you'll see in the uh, tasking group 13, our name is there once again. Mm -hmm. But it, it's one thing to, we actually make a difference and work on the groups and do things, but it's a totally different thing to be recognized as one of the official members on the, <laughs> on the list. Like it, it's, it yep. doesn't stop us from being productive. It's just the way things look. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, yeah, it's one of those, ah. Completely agree, Dan. Yeah, why don't we uh, take a quick look at the like agenda and just brush over that quick? Yeah, absolutely. So let's see. Uh, all right, so here's the agenda. So you've got the uh, FAA uh, greetings and logistics. Um, we've got the read official statement from the designated federal office. All things we can be... just ignore when they happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the handshakes and... and who done it's kind of around the room uh, review of the agenda obviously uh opening remarks um from several different people we've got a remote identification update uh which i will assume they will be discussing the postponement of enforcement on standard uh we've got uh tasking group 13 um which is advanced air mobility near-term operations and uh of which uh dave is going to be presenting uh some of the uh, findings from that. Um, there's a digital flight rules briefing and then a lunch break. Yeah, maybe you and can, then, Dave, describe what is digital flight rules and why is that in here? That comes from like the BV loss arc and things, right? Do I remember hearing about it there? Let's see. Sorry, You've I'm scrolling fast. Please don't have a seizure. Flight here. Rules. It's on TG13? No, no, it's no, just no. after. It's a, I'm, I'm moving to it. It's another topic on the agenda. <clears throat> but wasn't digital flight rules something that was talked about a lot in the BB Lost Arc? Yes. And I'm... Let's see. So here we go. We've got the need for digital flight rules. So a, uh, advanced air mobility is an umbrella term encompassing many use cases and technology capabilities. Uh, adding each use case to the national airspace through separate rulemaking will take decades. Without long-term vision, near-term periarch, per, per, yeah, sure. Interest will result in conflicts. Uh, VFR. Uh, so the need for DFR lies in the gap between visual flight rules and instrument flight rules. 
Uh, VFR provides operational freedom but limits low visibility operations. Um, IFR allows low visibility operations but limits operational freedoms. And both significant rely on human decision making to cover anything not explicit in rules. So to me, this um, so, is kind of like thinking about things from from the old fashioned aviation side of things like, oh, we need aviation rules for how people fly drones. So people fly drones via their digital flight rules, because that follows kind of what visual flight rules and instrument flight rules are. Right. Even though to most of us, it doesn't matter at all. So it looks yeah, like they're trying to. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it, yeah, you wouldn't be able to get VFR because you can't see out of a drone, right? So they're saying like, hey, DFR counts as v VFR, but with the picture from the drone, it seems like. Yeah, it seems like uh, so a couple different things that they're incorporating. So you've got your GPS um, for navigation, databases for flight management, uh, which would be things like a loft, um, could be ArcGIS, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, digital autopilots, um, intent sharing, let's see, uh, V2V, I don't know what V2V means, um, detect and avoid, um, cooperative operating practices, so community-based rules uh, for predictable behavior, and uh, third-party service providers um, for USSs. Uh, we've talked about USSs, unmanned service suppliers. Um, those are going to probably see... Uh, increase and I've got an article on uh, that that's happening in Ohio actually uh, coming up and we can talk about that a little bit um, but USSs are for digitally managing uh, UAS traffic um, similar to air traffic control but uh, for uh, uh, UAS um, so yeah a couple different things there uh, it'd be interesting to see um, what they what they want to do with this uh, in terms of digital flight rules and and how that rolls out and I mean I imagine uh, again a lot of this uh, will be inherent more so in commercial versus recreational um, but we'll I mean things could roll either way really right so and of course uh, RTCA is another international standards body organization and so. This uh, last page looks like an advertisement for we can help you build a standard for uh, digital flight rules. And this was uh, uh, an area that uh, we, we did, uh, Dan, thank you for jogging my memory. This um, in section 2.5 in the uh, BV loss uh, arc, uh, we spent a lot of time on, uh, we called it uh, advanced flight rules and uh, uh, tried to get into uh, that this area of uh, of merging as as well as uh, where we were able to bring up FPV is uh, uh, augmenting um, the ability and to fly and helping uh, situational awareness. Let's see. So um, in terms of the graph, so it says uh, so the blue line would be rulemaking standards. So rulemaking is the blue, gray is the standards, uh, yellow is momentum, and then digital flight. So it's basically using rulemaking and how things can happen uh, at the same time to to work their way towards digital flight is how I'm kind of understanding it. But um, yeah, so uh, that'll take place tomorrow. So um, and uh, we'll be kind of coming together afterwards to to kind of talk about some of the salient points that that come out of the AAC meeting um and uh, what else was on that agenda real quick yeah uh, yeah there's uh, three other points one is that um we've been part of the uh, tg13 which is a framework that the faa issued uh to the aaac and asked for feedback it, it's uh, it was a bit of an odd document but it's important in that it's an aam framework of uh, what rules and what regulations should the faa uh, consider and that's what the essence of the framework was so so it's uh, worth a scan and uh, uh, worth worth uh, looking at in addition the other two agenda points that are, are really of interest to us are the two new tasking groups tg 14 and 15 and there is a slide on each let me see here let me scroll down here again pardon my quick scrolling <laughs> it's all right it's at least clear Let's text see. when it's scrolling 
ARS, ASRS. Let's see. New taskings. So let's see. We've got tasking 14, which is the B, uh, BV loss arc opportunities. So the tasking is for the AAAC to examine the BV, BV loss arc recommendations and identify opportunities where industry can assist and accelerate implementation of BV loss regulatory actions. Well, of course, um, and, that, that's interesting in as much as there was a whole segment on here are a series of recommendations that the FAA can act on expeditiously and get out and promulgate regulations within one year. Of course, that was when we closed up the ARC, which is that March, March mm -hmm. of uh, 22. Yeah. So here we are coming into end of October. And so they want, uh, well, I mean, technically it's within a year because they want recommendations <laughs> posted uh Tentatively scheduled for the March uh, 2023. If yeah. only yeah, we could are, just tell them, like, hey, look at the, <clears throat> the hobby. Look how RT, they're safely RT. doing BV loss arc or BV loss flights every day. Maybe you could right. just take some advice there. <laughs> All right. So, but that is an important one. And we have volunteered to, uh, to work on that. Hopefully, we get uh, accepted into working on that uh, tasking group. All right, and the next one is uh, the drone community engagement lessons learned and best practices. So the AAAC to make recommendations on lesson learned and best practices related to drone community engagement methods. Now, this is something we have talked extensively to the FAA regarding uh, their engagement with different uh, levels of the drone community. Yeah, what are the um, recommendations? How about you follow some of the ones we've already given you? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, from a couple different aspects. And I, I will say that the FAA has started to do some community outreach um, and, and uh, um, kind of focusing in on different segments of... Uh, of the industry uh i do know that they they've done a couple regional events um and i think they're like two or three day events uh separated by different kind of segments educational commercial and recreational and there's been some participation from uh local recreational groups uh in those and uh as well as stuff like uh about a year ago or so we did the droning on after dark uh, which was a video series uh, done with the FAA and uh, several different. Uh, uh, Drew Camden was on there, and a couple other uh, drone pilots were on there as well, um, talking about some of that stuff. Um, and and we uh, have to, we'll have to make sure, of course, that uh, if we get on that tasking group, that uh, it is that the focus includes recreational. Because while it's, it's all obvious to us to go, well, of course it will. Yeah, I would. Can't make, I would can't love make that to assumption. go ask uh, every person on the ACK right now. How would you define the drone community, and who are they, and what do they do? And independently ask them each that question and see how different it is. Or maybe they'll all say, "Oh, the drone community is you know the people flying drones, pa package delivery, or the people flying uh, real estate drones, or something." But how many of them are going to say anything about recreation? Some of them would, but not all. Well, of them. Yeah, I think there's a re I think there's a reasonable understanding of what are the various segments, but it's I think there's a and certainly uh, we've been saying it for three years that uh, uh, recreational outnumbers uh, commercial uh, by an order of magnitude, and I've uh, been saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it, so they've heard it. But I think the uh, the view is that yeah, what's important is uh, is commercial, uh, and the, then they think of the various uh, segments within the commercial and heavy lifters and uh, a lot of things that require BV loss and a unmanned uh, traffic management system. Yeah, and it just comes across to me every time I read things like when they say industry, like right there in that second sentence, recommendations that identify specific drone industry sectors, which. I know they also include recreation as an industry, but as a recreational flyer, I don't consider what I do a part of an industry. Right. Yep. Yep. And K um, KBS Ken has a good point. I, I think his FISDO has four people on staff, three million live in my state. Not sure how the FAA does outreach. 
uh, and a lot of what the FISDOs, uh, who they work with, are the uh, FAST team, who are all volunteer. So it's a, a structure that is not um, set up to handle volume uh, and, and the volume of uh, uh, UAS uh, pilots. It's, it's organized and staffed to uh, communicate to manned uh, aircraft or manned pilots. Yeah, so it's definitely an interesting point. And, you know, I think, uh, let's see, Meat was talking about the amount of damage a regular MPV <laughs> drone can do in its natural state is pretty limited indeed. And that's something that we uh, have discussed and will continue to discuss, uh, especially in our recommendations for uh, some changes to uh, yeah, the and, current... And Meat, uh, go, go look at the um, uh, TG11 uh, write-up. Uh, Tony Nanini is one of the key authors of a uh, work on uh, target level of safety. He's uh, one of the program engineering managers on uh, Google Wing, uh, and he's also uh, on the steering committee of the drone safety uh, team. Yeah, I mean, the like the 250 grand rule is based on essentially, if I remember correctly, about a 1960s study from NASA on... Uh, you know, solid metal mass falling from the sky uh, in relation to like, you know, shuttles and, and rockets and stuff like that. And uh, the difference between the 1960s and today with the composites and plastics and and polymers and stuff that, that drones are made out of, I mean, the, uh, there's no comparison. There's a completely different imparting of, of energy. Uh, right. And, and like uh, meat so. along those lines, meat asks, um, is that the uh, the one yeah. uh, about the kinetic energy levels? And the answer to that is no, absolutely not. This uh, uh, puts the uh, kinetic energy uh, process uh, back where it belongs, back in the 80s, and uh, it establishes an understanding of the um, that, uh, how easily a uh, structure can crush or fracture upon impact, as well as its mass and velocity. The same kind of things that... Uh uh you know auto manufacturers do when they're doing crash yeah exactly yep so right but anywho all right moving on let's see we've got uh this loveliness that's going on yeah, I so got should we, we should just reiterate that uh that meeting is tomorrow at yes. uh what is it gosh at 10 o'clock eastern 10 time 10 a.m eastern and yep. it'll be live streamed on their facebook and youtube and uh we Appreciate everybody watching it live and making comments and letting the FAA know that we're here and we're paying attention and we care, even though the people on the in the meeting won't be uh, actively watching the comments, but just letting them know we're there. And did we just lose Dave? We did. <laughs> we spoke. Oh well. Soon. See you what later. All right. What was that mean? Said it wouldn't be normal if we didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is true. I thought I'd, right. I'd be the one getting dropped out today. My internet's been a little flaky this week, but uh, uh -oh. knock on wood, it's going okay so far. All right. So DJI drone tracking data has been exposed in the United States. So uh, long story short, uh, there was a user who was storing uh, aeroscope data uh, on Amazon Web uh, servers uh, or AWS servers, uh, and uh, basically, eighty thousand drone IDs were exposed in a data leak um, after it was uh, found. Um, let's see. Uh, we don't know who the owner of the data is, uh, but at, at this point. Um, we, we know that uh, the Biden administration has blacklisted DJI um, and uh, the U.S. Defense Department and a dozen other companies were added to a list of Chinese entities uh, believed to be connected to the Chinese military and the Pentagon paved the way for further restrictions on their businesses. Um, and then with recent uh, issues in Ukraine, uh, you know, they, they've come under a whole lot of flack lately. Gotcha. So. What's that? Am I, I must be back. You're back. Yeah, you are. You Such are. Such a good thing. So uh, my read on this uh, article is to, uh, this is uh, an unfortunate situation with AWS, um, that is Amazon. Um, and this is just a 
probably just about not DJI's fault at all. No, DJI, I think it is. This is customer, an individual user, yeah. A, a customer a of DJI loaded loaded data up, and you can checkbox your way to uh, backups and security on AWS. And if you want the cheapest, uh, most cheerful uh, cloud storage you can get, it's not that secure. And, and it's really bang. easy uh, to put it out there in such a way that it's open to anybody. Absolutely. Right. Yep, and it's not DJI doing it at all. But yeah, I came across this story in my normal IT job news stories. And of course, it raised some red flags about privacy and security and everything. And <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, as soon as remote ID is there on every drone, this is just uh, not a bug. This is a feature. This is how it's supposed to work. Well, and here's the fun part is this comes from Gary Mortimer over at uh, SUS News. He talks exactly about that. So um, with the for sale data uh, world that we live in currently, um, he, he goes through in this article and I'll link it here, uh, talking about the ease of selling information from collecting and selling information from remote ID. Um, so uh, let's see. Yeah, who's going to so, be the first person to write an open source app that you can load on any computer that will track all remote ID and just store it into a database for everybody else to see? Yeah. But Dan, I mean, as long as you've got the receivers, practical. Right? So he, he actually, here, let's to... check this out. So he talks about, uh, so if you want to start capturing remote ID data for an entire city, uh, so they... Uh, when we start, we chuck low-cost devices within a 400-meter range out in the wild, deploy 10, and realize it's going to take an age. Then we buy better receivers and site them more appropriately and get the reception out to about 750 meters. And finally, roof mount external antenna all the way out to 1.5 uh, kilometers. It might look like this for Cincinnati. It provides a little bit of a map. And they start selling the data to law enforcement officials and Part 107 competitors, so things are on the up and up and make our ultimate receiver systems and get as far out as two kilometers on a good day. And then you're capable of uh, covering a city um, at a lower cost than a single aeroscope. So, and then you can monetize this data, essentially. And what so, is the benefit of this data? I don't understand what this data is giving well, you. you. It's can just anonymous data with a location. You can easily right, figure anonymous. out... Um, let's, say, let's say your... Um, you do railway and well, no, it, they were. They've. I've heard people talk about this some before. But if you know kind of what your competitors are doing and what what flight paths they are taking, you can figure out who they are and which competitor they are, and then you can start following what they're doing and where, and then you can use that information start to your advantage. Um, and, and stuff. Like but you that. only know that drones are flying there. You don't know what drones are. No, flying but you can figure out serial. exactly which drone and who's flying it with enough data. Just like I mean, when years ago could, Netflix like... posted like anonymized data and people took that and associated it very quickly with actual people based on There's a difference between data. aggregating consumer data versus aggregating flight data. I, I get where you're coming from, but you don't know anything about that drone other than the serial ID of the drone, which can be anonymized every single flight. Right. So like, I get where you're coming from. For example, all you know is where it took where I live, all you know is where it showed up. If I see ended, right? a drone flying in a certain area, I can tell you 99% certainty which person's flying it because I know their patterns yeah. and where they fly and when they fly. But okay, I, so get, I just don't see this. I, I, I personally don't see this. This doesn't make it. But any then sense. also, like what <laughs> what's mentioned in the chat is if this was just added to an app on a phone, suddenly you've got receivers all over the place collecting this data. So I mean, yeah. I mean, theoretically, you could use it as a competitor, right? Um, you you'd be able to go out and uh, potentially, let's say, maybe undercut some of your competition. the The second thing is, is I mean, if you're somebody who is, you know, and this is something we've talked about before, uh, who's looking for a uh, free drone. Uh, you could use this data that way. If you're a law enforcement officer, you could use this to essentially set, you know, a assuming uh, they're they're focused on this in any way, shape, or form, a uh, 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 air version of a of a uh, kind of a traffic stop, right? So you can set up in a in an area that's uh, more akin to people flying drones, and you could sit there and wait to issue tickets kind of thing so it's data that's usable what the validity of it i agree is is probably a stretch but um again i mean 
any kind of data nowadays is is a money maker, right? So that's why apps like Facebook and and Twitter are free because uh, they're using your data to you know basically I, identify your habits. So yeah, I get I get what you're saying, but I I definitely think there's a difference between a browsing habit, like like you're we're equating a browsing or purchasing yeah. habit to a flight habit that that you get no other info about. Literally, only of takeoff and landing location if they're in your range. And you're making assumptions about them, and you have where they flight all the flight path. Like, I, I mean, that's this is literally only value. Like, if I'm browsing on the internet, you have everything I've clicked on where I browsed. You have all my cookies. You have all my accounts I've logged in. You have all my catches of Facebook, Twitter. Like, that's how you get all that info. Like, I totally get what you're saying, but there's such a limited data set here. I'm not sure. Like, we're gonna get like information about consumer habits from this, well, right? Well, like, I think. People right. people get really creative and like stores are tracking your your cell phone as you walk through a mall or buy buy storefronts, and they're using that information and selling it. Um, this is very similar to that, um, so and, and there'll just be really odd things that we can't possibly think of right now that'll be used. Um, so I I come up with uh, Blunty as usual. Great question. I come up with three answers to your question. The first would be delivery routes, which is what uh, Dan was talking about. So if uh, delivery routes are um, linear algebra, complicated problems, and if you can see what's going on in your neighborhood, that's, or in a, in that last mile, that's, that's useful. The other is um, uh, what I'd call an ambulance chaser. So we'd have uh, um, attorneys capturing uh, this data and using it uh, uh, to demonstrate uh, past uh, nefarious use, uh, that would be bad. And the third could be uh, inspection um, or ag, uh, ag and ag spraying uh, uses. So you're just you're surveilling the uh, the competition. So, but it's you know, does that make does that warrant the infrastructure cost? I think that's a great a great question. So uh, yeah. XJet asks. Uh... I don't have a copy of the ASTM standards, so can someone tell me whether the serial number of the drone or the operator's registration is included in the RID data stream? So it is down to uh, the uh, serial the number of the uh, broadcast RID module device. Right. or a session ID, which right. is up to how they implement it. Right. So. Yeah, and the session and, ID can the, be generated at each flight and is yeah, not linked. And the F and the FAA is the only one that has that uh, cross uh, lookup table in the database that can match the registrant to the RID serial. That's not in the um, in the data elements in the RID message. But something like a so, remote ID module will have to send the remote ID module's ID. They can't use a session ID because there's right, no way to exactly. to store that and send it to the FAA. Yep, right, it'd be a serial number. So, so then it would and, be the same thing would... every time. Yeah, yep. and you would store your serial. I don't understand. Would... Wait, 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 okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. That is not how the law is, right? No, no, no. Because if you you rule. don't have, you know, that's not, not how the rule, rule is, right? You right. you can you're broadcasting a session ID, and that represents you to the FAA. You don't also need a module ID. You have the choice of either a session ID or a serial number right. module. Yeah, I just want to be clear on that. You do not have to broadcast the same number every time you fly. If it's set up correctly, you can broadcast a session ID that is different each time. There's no way to tell you are the same pilot. I don't right. see how Dan's you can do that with a module, though. Right. That's what Dan's point was. So it's you know. So we agree completely. A module generates a new session each time, right? But it's how do you send that to the FAA? Key that, because a public-private key, the same way you do with anything, right? We're not seeing. We're what we're seeing is serial number being broadcast from. The practical uh, impl implementations. But okay, so that should be a concern that we talk about. Like I, that should be something that should be brought up and not allowed, right? We should find a way to broadcast session ID, like because they're going to just you're trackable. Then this goes against like half the thing we argued against. Like so, or, the serial like, number. The only the only place that it, the serial number is identified is going to be when you register your broadcast module. So that is no. He's saying yeah, that's broadcast. We're 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 saying that that's right. broadcast, and you cannot broadcast a session ID with a broadcast module. My understanding was you absolutely could broadcast a session ID with a broadcast module, and that was part of the rule. Think of a session ID as like if you have an internet connected standard remote ID drone that's talking to an online database and generating a session, and then telling the FAA, okay, this was the session for this flight. 
you can't do that. My understanding was, my understanding was that's not how it works at all, right? You don't need that for a session ID. You can have an internal key that you generate a session ID every time from a base key, like a cryptographic key, right? Like that's how a session ID would work. So you're saying only drones that can connect to the internet actively can generate a session ID. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. So you know what we're observing is that broadcast modules are going to broadcast the serial. But a DJI drone that's out of range of the internet also cannot broadcast a session ID. I think that that that's what we would speculate. Don't um, know that for sure. Has anybody tried saying crazy? Tried right? OpenID to see what people are doing so far. I haven't. No. I don't. I haven't either. I just assumed that this was not this dumb is... implementation, right? Like, like th this seems really dumb. Like, you, <laughs> everybody knows how to generate a key from a base key. Like, that's been done forever. Like, there's no reason you could not have code on that broadcast module that knows a base cryptographic key that's shared with the FAA. That key is knows how to generate keys, just like an authenticator module, like on on, on Google or any anybody has that, right? And then you generate a key. And that key is, is is checked with the FAA based on their knowledge of how to generate a key based on a time code. Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's just how... It does seem like it I, could I don't be know. possible. And I mean, I'm not aware of any FAA activities that are in receipt, uh, you know, that acknowledge that they will manage the receipt of session IDs. So I think you're, this, is, this is a good and very important point. But I think the current, you know, technology right now or the, the implementation is uh, that we will see serial numbers broadcast. It does seem like the kind so of thing I the guess... FAA wants for a UTM. So here's here's the here's the thing that I would I would kind of posit to to kind of alleviate some of the question on this. I would say if the broadcast module is interfaceable with something like an app on your phone, you could probably generate a session ID. Uh, I would say if it's independent of, like if it's just a basic standard you know well, basic rem it can't remote be module. independent of a phone right because it has the phone has to talk to a phone to get the location to take off right or well not on a broadcast module you'd have a gps right so you'd have an onboard gps on your on your drone so okay um i would say that if it's got app compatibility or a, a dr app driver uh essentially um that you could generate a session id and you could report that and and that kind of thing i would say if it's independent of let's say a basic system it's gonna report the the probably gonna report the, the serial number so what we know so, so far is you have to go to the faa register your remote id module and you give it the modules information serial number. serial number right. that way if somebody has their phone and they see oh there's this drone here's this serial number i see they tell that to the faa they're like oh, okay we know who that is because we have that in our database that's the only way we currently know of for the FAA to get that information. Yeah, you All could right. just easily do that with a randomly generated ID as well. It just seems crazy that that's not the case. So, so XJet says, how does a session ID identify the operator to the law enforcement operator who's picking up the RID signal? It doesn't. So the law enforcement officer would have to get that information uh, from the FAA uh, to identify that, uh, that individual person. Uh, what it is giving you is takeoff location and flight data, uh, you know, flight path and, and whatnot. Um, so let's see. Uh, RID requires the connection to a phone, correct? Uh, no, it does not. Um, so standard remote ID requires uh, essentially is going to be it requires the location of the operator and the location of the drone as well as flight path velocity high uh, altitude all that kind of stuff um remote uh sorry broadcast uh remote id broadcast modules uh require to transmit takeoff location as well as uh that aforementioned uh, uh flight data so again your your flight path your location uh, the drone's location, velocity, altitude, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, as well as session ID and or serial number. So, um, let's see. Uh, and there, yeah, the only way to uh, get the uh, to get the RID signal uh, with an individual is going to be through request to the FAA for that information. Um, 
and and what that looks like when it comes is that does that require a warrant is that just a simple request you know it depends i don't know what that looks like yet i don't think anybody does um but um yeah there is no personal identifying information supposed to be broadcast through remote id uh your name your phone number your address any of that stuff so um yeah no no pii um, just the it, GPS coordinates of where you're standing that yeah, I mean, can identify <laughs> who you are and where you are. Right. right. But but no nothing that, that says, hey, my name is Dan. I live here. <laughs> right. So all right. Uh good questions, good good conversation. Um and yeah, I don't know what that request structure is gonna look like. I imagine uh it's going to be a simple request. Um, through the LEAP program, which is a law enforcement assistance program of the FAA. Um, but again, how open is the FAA going to be in in driving that in, or providing that information? I'm not sure. I, I don't think anybody is. I, I would assume this will work. At some point, this, they'll have a system similar to like how a police officer does a lookup on your license plate, right? So they'll have some kind of system, database they log in, they type in an information, they have credentials, and then they can get your data from the FAA database, right? I, I imagine so. I mean, that's what I, yeah. I foresee for sure. Like it would be insane for them to have to request each time. So I'm sure there'll be some kind of like system for them to, to generate that information on the fly, right? Or at least somewhat on the fly. So definitely interesting. All right, so uh, moving along, um, these good conversations, definitely something that we need to uh, dive a little deeper. Yeah, while you're loading that next page, maybe we should all uh, take a visit to our local police station if we've got a friend there and say, hey, can you figure out if I'm flying this drone and look up my my drone ID and show me how it's done? Right. All right, so a view C, AUVSI slams uh, US states mulling the creation of drone toll lanes. Um, so AUVSI, the world's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement of uncrewed systems, autonomy, and robotics, says it's willing to take the fight to state legislative sessions to stop all proposals that infringe on the FAA's authority in the airspace, promote the creation of drone toll lanes, and seek to impose undue taxes on drone operations. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit. Focusing primarily on navigation easements or the property right acquired from a landowner for the use of airspace above a specified height, these measures promote the creation of toll lanes in the sky for drones. AUVSI points out that such laws at the state or local government level not only dismantle the federal authority of the airspace, but they also create a dangerous and virtually impossible to navigate patchwork of regulations for drone operators. So this is definitely something that uh, we've talked about in the past. Um, definitely applaud this effort uh there are uh several state legislative bodies including uh those in texas louisiana west virginia and mississippi who have introduced bills that seek to restrict and tax drone operations anything for an extra buck right um auvsi stresses that safe airspace for all can be insured only through national regulation the group also points to faa's beyond an integration partnership agreement programs that are successfully engaging with state local and tribal governments as well as industry players um so again this is something that we absolutely 100 percent uh support uh trying to uh, break up the way drones are regulated and to tax the ability to utilize the the public national airspace uh is ridiculous um, and if you do it for, let's say you start doing it for commercial flights, then I mean, inherently you're doing it for recreational flights. So, uh, it's just, uh, definitely an interesting thing. So why isn't the FAA taking that to the courts? So a lot of times this is, I mean, they're a regulatory body. A lot of times this has to be fought by, um, you know, through the process, through locals, uh, taking it up, uh, filing lawsuits against the the legislative actions. So yeah, I assume like the FAA just doesn't have people to do this um, and yeah. they just leave it up to the public to get in trouble and then hire lawyers to fight it and use the FAA as, see, the FAA has the right of way. You know, they're the only ones who can make these rules. So the FAA doesn't have to do any extra work. Right. And there's a lot of cities and, and, and towns and, and, and whatnot that have created rules that intrude on um the faa's uh uh 
essentially precedent for uh, you know regulating the national airspace and it literally it, it goes through uh courts or it goes through um you know legislative uh lobbying to to get it turned down this is something that uh Vic Moss and the DSPA have have worked on uh in different areas so uh definitely interesting yeah, I'm I'm uh, pretty sure maybe states haven't done anything but there are definitely some smaller cities and municipalities and stuff that have had rules that got overturned after somebody filed a lawsuit challenge challenge and at a state level i'd I'd agree with me once it's passed at a state level then it can go to the courts you you need something on the books and to uh challenge against yeah yeah so um all right uh skip one just because we're running a little short on time here um so this is uh, pretty cool. Um, so the College of Innovation and Design, uh, I apologize, this is uh, Boise State University, I do believe. Um, let's see, the College of Innovation and Design is now offering a drone certificate program, drone operations for visualization, research, and resource management. Um, the uh, program offers both an undergraduate seven credit and a graduate 10 credit certificates. Um, upon completing the program, students will be licensed drone operators who are fully capable of planning and executing drone-based projects for a variety of purposes. Program gives uh, students the skills to enter the workforce as capable drone practitioners, managers, technicians, and researchers. So uh, this is definitely cool. Uh, Boise State, uh, uh university is is doing um i i know a lot of universities are starting to to roll things like this out for uas it's an emerging uh technology and obviously an emerging uh, uh career path um that is definitely going to be kind of uh fed from the recreational community which is why recreational flight is super important uh, I'm not sure. It doesn't say if it teaches them to fly FPV, but I would imagine uh, it does um, go through a couple different scenarios. But FPV, maybe not. But all right. Um, I think that's. I think I'm going to leave it at that. I'll save some of these articles for next time. And we have, uh, we have a multi GP announcement. Oh yeah, with go Alex. Ahead. Go ahead. So. You'll notice that Alex is not with us this evening because he's in Florida at Champs, the uh, multi-GP uh, uh, races, and he's placed sixth in sport class. So congratulations to Alex. Great job. That's awesome. Nice. Let's see. Uh, what's this? B-Roper, new drone certificates. Yeah, I think Meet was saying that... Uh... Based on that page, he doesn't think people are flying FPV at that Boise State oh, yeah. certificate. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot of autonomous kind of stuff. And unless it. you consider flying from a cell phone through the camera on a Mavic to be FPV. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of it is, but not really. All right. So, uh, Dave, what else you got for us this evening? Wrap us up here. Uh, just uh, wondering if uh, anyone's flying an Ardu pilot. Uh, I'm, I'm digging into that, and it's uh, working on a project with a flight test. And anyone into autonomous uh, uh, aircraft, this is pretty cool. I've uh, run into some fellow retired uh, IBMers uh, in Australia, uh, leading some of the development effort of Ardu plane. So it's uh, this is really geeky stuff. It's uh, uh, about an order of magnitude more complicated than setting up on Betaflight. So if we thought uh, Betaflight has a lot of bells, whistles, checkboxes, and options, RG Pilot is... <laughs> oh, baby, oh, baby. But no, actually, it, it says looks... RG Pilot needs more parameters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Ah, a couple more. I think but there are about uh, 2,000 parameters. You wouldn't already. even yeah, notice well, a few more. That's right. <laughs> Uh, well worth it, and it looks. Re- and as they say, you know, they're controlling everything from satellites to submarines and everything in between. So, great bunch of people, a large number of developers, twenty full times and fifty part time developers. So that's uh, the largest uh, group of uh, software developers that I'm aware of uh, around a uh, a flight controller platform. So, uh, cool product, and uh, we'll keep you posted on this project as we move it along. 
Uh, what's what else is up is uh, we're working on the drone safety team, uh, wrapping up uh, that piece of work on you um, an ad hoc committee on UAS ASRS the aviation safety report. Um, ASRS. The aviation S is the last reporting S system. System. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that's uh, we're going to wrap that up this month, and hopefully we, as I said, will be uh, will be accepted into the two uh, tasking groups that the AAAC is going to issue tomorrow. One around BV loss, very important to us, and the other uh, equally as important to us. And, and that's it seems what, like uh, uh, the ASRS is a topic of conversation tomorrow as well at the AAAC. So yes, saw that it's on the agenda. But, oh. All right, uh, Blunty, you got anything? Oh, I don't think so. I was looking to make sure, but I do not. Okay. Dan? No, I think we covered the things I was most uh, concerned about and wanted to make sure we covered, which was the FAA meeting tomorrow. And then the only piece of news that I had run across was that one about the aeroscope data uh, mm. <laughs> being open to the public. But uh, yeah, we've got those sure. covered, so I think I'm all good. I don't good. know if we actually mentioned it, but the uh, the remote ID thing has the date they pushed uh, the compliance back to. It's December something. Uh, it's December. right before Christmas, right? Yeah. 22, 22 December. And so if you're working hard on it, then they're going to in, uh, exercise judgment on enforcing. So don't they always exercise judgment? So that announcement to push that date was one of the more quizzical in my my view yeah, well right. you know we we already know the faa likes that that christmas timeline you know to, to the wording push. in the the slide was very wishy-washy as well didn't really commit yeah, to yeah. anything absolutely yes gave yeah gave them latitude as as uh wide as a truck let's see it's um, on page 33 i think this was part of that leak thing right Let's see. Real world breach, drone delivered exploit system. Um, uh, so this is something I think we didn't get to talk about. Is this last. the Wi-Fi spy thing? Yeah. So basically, uh, this was one of the articles I had. Let me pull it up real quick. Go ahead, okay. Glenty. This is just like the first documented attack we've seen, uh, like a physical, basically, um, what would normally take physical penetration of a network, right? You would normally have to have someone physically present to do this attack. And this was the first attack we've seen that's really totally coordinated. They used two separate drones to spoof a network page, basically, for an investment firm, and then use that spoofed page from the drones to collect data. And they were able to identify that there was a spoofed page um, and then used like a you know Wi-Fi detector to locate the drones like with the signal. And they found that there were two drones sitting on top of a rooftop next to an air vent. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just basically the first time this has been documented, something like this has happened. And I assume we'll see a lot more of this kind of stuff. But um, it is something that a lot of businesses need to start to consider. Is like, yeah. hey, people don't need to be physical, physically there to do this. Like cameras all around the building aren't going to help this. Like a drone can fly 400 feet in the air, land on your rooftop, and then penetrate your Wi-Fi network and hack your building. And there's, you know, well, you have to be prepared for that. And like XJet says, you could you could take a slingshot and shoot a Raspberry Pi up there and do the same thing. Thing. It doesn't have to be a drone. I mean, and it used you, to be. You'd have, to, you'd have to hope it survives. But yeah, it used to just be yeah. people in parking lots with high gain antennas pointed at a building would do the same the, thing the different the difference is if you do a month of successful attacks and then you fly the drone back off nobody will ever know right that that's the difference here right that, that's the way i think about this is like if you had a way to like you know uh like maybe a little solar cell on there that just like charge the the battery enough to fly away or something like there are ways you could do these attacks where you could get away and nobody would ever know you're there if they didn't catch the spoof page and you got away 30 days later suddenly that investment firm finds out 45 days later that all the customer accounts got accessed and nobody knows how and they're like scrambling to try to figure that out. So I don't know. I, I bet we'll see this stuff a lot more. And I'm sure this has happened a lot where people don't know, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cybers, um, uh, cybersecurity is uh, a, a uh, top of the top of the list uh, with uh, many top of the list items with the FDIC. Uh, and uh, I anticipate that because they uh, went after a financial institution that the uh, that uh, we and the banking community will hear uh, more of uh, things like this. We do a lot of uh, pen testing, penetration testing now, and uh, I think uh, Dan's right. Is it will uh, expand from 
uh, picking up Wi-Fi signals too. Okay, now let's think about uh, that. You know, we can't find the uh, uh, the, the the individual because there is no individual. There's a device that's uh, gotten close enough to uh, to pick up uh, the Wi-Fi signals. So I I think you're right. I think this is a, an area of concern, and I frankly am happy that it, uh, they went after a financial uh, institution because uh, that will get uh, a number of uh, regulatory and yeah. uh, fine and and money behind it. I mean, you know, I, I would I'd bet uh, a fair amount that uh, B of A and you know any of the mega banks are are looking at this and saying, "Yep, we need to uh, work on this right now." Yeah, yeah, definitely Here, interesting. Are you know, reading more? <laughs> going way reading back more to, yeah. Yeah. to yeah, one of XJet's uh, comments about the DJI Aeroscope. Breach. Is, is there any way we can use, spin this as a positive and say, look, there were 90 million flights, and what was the bad things that happened in those 90 million flights? Right. <laughs> or, or just like when we're out there saying there's this many recreation people, there's these many flights. Like, look, there's a database that tells us over this time period there was 90 million DJI-related flights that Aeroscope picked up, and that's just a portion of the total flights in the, the country. Or the world, or yeah. whatever that was for, right? Yeah, 2019 in the United States, we had 10.3 million uh, uh, flight hours of UAS. Yeah. All right. So uh, a couple things we're working on real quick just to wrap this up. So obviously, we will have uh, some discussion of the aftermath of the AAC meeting, AAAC meeting. Uh, <laughs> every time Mars attacks comes to mind. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, we are also moving forward with, uh, some recommendations for the FAA reauthorization act. We're currently working on those. Um, we will be asking for some feedback, uh, on that as soon as we a hundred percent nail that down and, uh, then we'll move forward from there. Um, so, uh, and, you know, and still waiting for... Also- Go ahead. We should also mention that we have a meet and greet. Uh, Josh Bixler and I get to say hello and uh, introduce ourselves to Abby Smith, the new deputy director of the FAA UAS Integration Office. Yeah. She is so. also the co-chair of the drone safety team, which I'm a member, or we are a member in FBVFC. Yeah. So... Anyway, uh, with that, I will give you the rest of your evening back. Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thank you for the excellent uh, interaction and feedback and uh, uh, love answering your questions, love uh, thought-provoking comments, and uh, please continue that in the future, and we'll see you in a couple weeks, okay? See you in two weeks. Thank you.